you're not the the restaurant anymore. Mm mm. You're so mean. I know what. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's summer. I don't want the house smell like cat pee because there's cats pissing outside all the time. And you now know what that smells like. Yes. Because I live that hell. See, you can't blame me. Welcome to the new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And welcome to what is episode 16 of our lovely adventures together in podcasting. Yes, 16. Wow. We now have a full-on teenager who expects a Lexus for its birthday. Yeah, I didn't get an Alexis. Elizabeth, if you're listening to this now, or Victoria, (laughs) your dad's going to bring you to, like, a Porsche dealer and then drive out and bring you to, like, the worst used car lot he can. Wow, that's quite generous. All I got for my 16th birthday was a (laughs) no. (laughs) I got to borrow my mom's car occasionally. Yeah. I had to beg to borrow my dad's car, which was just going to sit in the garage anyway because he took the bus to work. And I had a 50-minute walk to school. Oh, no. I took the bus to school. I didn't get to drive to school. What are you, crazy? (laughs) But yes, I got to share a car with my my mom because I wouldn't share a car with my dad. Fair. And this is why we are the twisted, broken people we are now. Yeah, my... I have baggage, but it's not that bad for my parents. (laughs) That's not the source of my issues. (laughs) So, we have convened here on this terribly snowy day. It literally took me two hours from my office to my front door getting home, because even though this is Canada and it snows nine months out of the year, no one in this Kafakta city knows how to drive in it. Yeah, I think what happened was it was wet and then got cold and then it got icy in some spots. So And then everybody just like freaked the fuck out yep. and decided to do 40 the entire way home on the highway. Yes. Yeah, it was awful. Dummies. And I, so I, as I said in the last, or two episodes ago, I'm a speeder, but because I'm coming out here and I don't know the roads and it's dark and it's very twisty turny, I was going a lot slower than I normally would because I don't know where the turns are like I do at home. That's fair. Also, there's no lights. Yes, there is not. It's pitch ass dark and uh, a lot of wildlife. Yeah. I know where the deer are by my house, right? Like I, that... I'm well versed in my roads, but out here, not so much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what do you say we hop into our stories and get you home uh, before midnight tonight? Yes. uh, So that you can help with the meltdowns that are happening. Yeah. I think they're a little bit happier, so. Oh, well then. There you go. So, who's going first tonight? Uh, I went first last time, so you go first this time. So I go first this time. Okay. All right. So, you may know this about me, Andy, but I live out in the country. No shit. <laughs> that was not in the country as I do. True, because I live in a village and you just live in bumfuck nowhere. Yeah. Country. Like, With cows. You're five minutes outside the village. I know. Yeah. To be fair, there were cows here up until the summer when I think the farmer got rid of them. But like literally in the suburbs of this little village, there were cows. Yeah. Cows are my neighbors. Yeah. They're delightful. I miss them. So uh, I drive by an active dairy farm every day twice a day and it has become the favorite part of my drive because they have a plethora of barn cats 
There is absolutely no attempt to curb the population of these barn cats. And I know this because in the spring, there's just hordes of kittens playing in the front lawn. And like, I know, as bad as a speeder as I am, I will slow down just to look at kittens as I drive past. So they're out there gamboling through the lawn in the heat of the summer, they're sleeping under the farm equipment. It's the highlight of my drive. So then that's what inspired my rabbit hole this week. And that is animals with jobs. Ooh. So barn cats take care of the mice population. Yes, they do. So I want to hear about other animals and what they do. So there are a lot of ways to look at this topic. So I'm just going to be looking at different types of animals and uh, give you information about some of the coolest stories I found. I'm not going to cite articles as I go because there's just... I jump all over the place. So no you'll have to check out the show notes. I never cite articles. Very rarely. So <laughs> I try. That's the, the master's student in me who's terrified of getting nailed for plagiarism. I don't care. Yeah. I went to college. <laughs> So, where do you want to start tonight? With cats, dogs, or rodents? Let's start with cats. You don't say. (laughs) Mine have disappeared. Andy terrorized them. And I'm pretty sure Wellington's probably dislocated at a hip. I know. I I heard that. (laughs) Judging by how quickly he tried to run into the basement and took a corner. Took several corners. I know. All going splayed leg. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded... I was upstairs and I was like, oh dear, that was one of the cats. Yeah. So... Um, first story here. There's a lot of people that complain about rats in politics, but the Brits have a very unique way of handling it. 10 Downing Street, where the Prime Minister lives, is a very old building in the middle of a huge city uh, that has a big problem with mice. So to tackle the issue, they have a very special appointment made to the household staff, and that is Chief Mouser to the Cabinet Officer. Starting in 1929, the records for 10 Downing show that one pound per day was spent from petty cash towards, quote, the maintenance of an efficient cat. The position kept up with inflation because by 1932, they were spending about 100 pounds a year on the chief mouser. The cat with the longest employment history in the post was Wilberforce, who served for 13 years and saw such prime ministers stroll through as Margaret Thatcher and uh, John Lord, I believe it was. Like all positions in politics, this one comes with its fair share of drama. In the 2000s, the post had been empty for four years, but by 2011, the rat problem was so bad that there were two news reports being done, and in the background, shooting towards 10 Downing, the cameras caught rats scurrying across the front step. Twice. So they decided... Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can deal with mice. I cannot deal with the rats. rats. Oh. So it was decided that the chief mouser position had been empty for long enough. And they needed to bring someone back. No shit. Yeah. Or two. Or four. (laughs) So, um, then Prime Minister David Cameron went to the local pet shelter and picked up a cat named Larry. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. By 2012, however, Larry got sacked. And Freya came in. Now, Freya was the cat to the Chancellor, then George Osborne, and that's how she got the job. So, nepotism. She might have had a proven rat track record, whereas Larry, not so much. Regardless, regardless, Larry got 
posted out from 10 Downing and was assigned to 11 and 12 Downing to enact his office there. (laughs) However, and while there was no public comment about why this happened, Freya was dismissed at some point in 2014 uh, because Larry is now the only one on 10 Downing's website as listed as the uh, Mouser in residence. And Freya has just disappeared to the annals of history and we don't know why. But Larry is still there and uh, doing a good job keeping the cat problems down. Larry is also a very chill dude. And so every so often... As one would be with the name Larry. Yes. Every so often the press will be bored and they'll take a picture of Larry just like lying out on the front steps (laughs) of 10 Downing. (laughs) Looking real relaxed. So. Well, he is a cat to the Prime Minister. This is true. (laughs) Public servants don't just work in the seat of power, however, they're needed all over the place. Which brings me to Nitama, who has been the station master at Kishi train station in Japan since 2015. Nitami is a cat. When the previous station master, Tama, who was also a cat, passed away in 2015, the community celebrated the traditional 50 days of mourning period, at which point Nitama was confirmed into the role by the railway's president. Natama is incredibly qualified, as she is a graduate from the Cat Station Master Training School. Yes. <laughs> There's a cat training. There is. Well, how else are you going to find qualified That's true, station masters? And she was also the previous station master at Idakiso before being promoted to Tama's deputy and eventually taking over the role on Tama's death. General duties include mingling with riders and bringing attention to the railway, which was almost bankrupt until the role of the female feline station master became public under Tama's watch, and the story exploded in the media. Oh, yeah. One of Natama's standout skills that qualified her for the role wasn't just her education, but it was also the fact that she, quote, didn't mind wearing the hat. Andy should know better (laughs) than to drink Pepsi when I am talking about cats uh, who are train masters. I don't know. I don't know why I even (laughs) thought I should take a sip. Yeah. Transportation is a very popular industry for feline job candidates, as Boson and Matros proves. The Vodohod River Cruises out of Russia realized how useful it would be to have a couple of cats on board, so they hired two of them to be part of the crew of the Nikolai Chernyshevsky cruise ship. Boson's name comes from the Russian word for boatswain, which basically means boat janitor, and Matros's name is the Russian word for deckhand. And now... Deckhand sounds like a lowly position, but in fact, Matro is very important to the voyage because he's the cat captain, and Bosun is his first mouser. (laughs) Sorry, this is too cute. I know. (laughs) Both of them are known to sleep on the job, but no one really seems to mind. And there are some fucking adorable pictures of cats in naval uniforms, which I'm going to be sending to you because this week's social media is going to be fucking cute. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, if you are going to try to get a naval uniform on one of your cats, good luck, my friend. Oh, no. I tried putting Wellington into a um, dragon costume for Halloween one year. Did not go well. (laughs) No one was happy at the end of that day. (laughs) No, we tried to get Finn into, like, a hunting vest one year. Dan Mm -hmm. brought him hunting and not end well for the hunting vest. Speaking of dogs... Did you know this is the anniversary of the time Finn supervised my failed babysitting attempt? Yes, I did see that. I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> I was uh, babysitting Andy's fairly newborn baby. It was her first 
trip out with Dan after the baby was born and Finn, her dog at the time, was uh, very, very good at his job of taking care of that little baby because I got hella stink eye because <laughs> I did not know what I was doing and Finn knew it and made sure I knew it too. <laughs> Yeah, he liked babies when they were small. As soon as they started to crawl, he was not. He had so the issues. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not so okay. Speaking of dogs, that's my next animal to look at. So one of the most commonly known things about dogs is that they have an amazing sense of smell. And now some of our canine friends are being trained to put that power to use in the medical field. So there's a bunch of different things that trained service dogs can do. One of them is that they alert diabetics when their blood sugars go out of bounds. So one patient described her service dog uh, who knew when to alert her when her blood sugar levels went beyond the normal range. The dog would paw at her continuously when they'd get too high and then nudge and lick her before they drop too low. Hmm. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, it took the dog about eight months to get her regulated. So she went from having like almost pass out seizure level sugar issues within eight months she had no problems anymore and she finds that the longer the dog is with her the better it's getting at being able to determine when she's about to have an issue with her blood so we're talking like an hour or so before the dog can like start signaling at that point that there's an issue coming the sense of smell is also used to detect certain cancers The first time doctors took this ability seriously was in the late 1980s when an article appeared in The Lancet where a doctor wrote about a patient's dog who wouldn't stop sniffing at one of her moles. When they tested the mole, it turned out to be melanoma. So when a second article appeared in The Lancet in 2001 about a similar case, medical researchers got serious and um, they've started initiating studies. Cool. So now it's not like as good as a obviously a diagnostic test but they are able to prove that dogs can smell out cancer where it is in the body and not just that but what type of cancer Hmm. so they can signal for that finn knew i was pregnant before i did (laughs) which time first time or second first he didn't even care the second which would have been nice because i didn't know for ages but because we were so closely watching because we were on the fertility drugs Mm -hmm. um and it was like all of a sudden he just would not leave me alone like he was just stuck to me and then a couple of days later we found out that yes i was very very like early stages of pregnancy but i was indeed pregnant it had worked um but yeah he knew a few days i get diabetes and cancer with dogs they're physical changes that happen in the body But some things dogs are able to detect uh, that just have no explanation and doctors are still trying to figure out. And one of those is seizures. Some dogs can detect seizures before they happen. Doctors and researchers aren't sure why or how, but there's a growing body of evidence that prove that seizure alert and response dogs are in fact accurate. So the article I was reading, the woman had lupus, and she was saying that her dog has been able to detect every single one of her seizures since she got him. 47 minutes before the seizure occurred. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what they do is they warn their handler of an impending seizure, which gives that person time to get to a safe spot, like a bed or a couch. Some will even lay across the handler's body to stop or mitigate the thrashing that happens in a seizure or to prevent them from rolling off on off the surface they're lying on. And for serious seizures, dogs can even be trained to press an emergency alert button to call attention. And this one woman who... Um, was saying her dog can detect 47 minutes before the seizure 
actually it saved her life one time because she had stroked out <gasps> during the seizure. And if the dog hadn't have dialed 911 or hit the emergency call button, she would have died. Oh my goodness. Yeah. These are physical illnesses though. And like Finn was able to pick up on probably the physical, maybe some of the emotional hormone changes that were starting to happen. Dogs are great when it comes to helping with mental illness as well. Therapy dogs are often used to help people with anxious situations. Airports are now bringing them in to calm nervous travelers before they fly. Uh, universities and schools will bring them in during exam or midterm season to help calm down the student population. I know at my school, we had an absolutely adorable, grumpy-looking Scottish Terrier visit us last semester, and I was very angry that he did not just live in my office for the day because it was an adorable puppy. <laughs> I love him. He's a little grumpy. He's a oh, Scottish Terrier. Yeah, he looked grumpy. Several jurisdictions in the States are actually starting to use therapy dogs to help witnesses on the stand while they're giving testimony in court. For example, in King County, Washington, there was a program that started there by accident. Uh, a prosecutor started bringing her son's service dog into the office on days where the boy wasn't going to need him, just to prevent the dog from being home alone the entire day. A colleague of hers was having a hard time prepping two seven-year-old twins for a trial against their father. He had sexually assaulted them. Oh, my God. So the prep wasn't going well, as one would expect. And so he asked his co-worker if she wouldn't mind bringing the dog in just to sit with the girls and keep them calm during the, the initial questioning and the practice. Of course, she said yes, not a problem. And Jeter would come and sit with them uh, so that the prosecutor could prep them for testimony. On the day that they were set to testify, though, the girls were just so wound up and obviously really, really upset and didn't want to go through with it. So the prosecutor asked the judge if it would be okay if Jeter came and sat with them while they gave their testimony. The defense didn't object to that. The judge didn't object to that. So Jeter came in and sat with the girls. And anytime he could sense them getting tense or upset, he would lay their head, his head on their lap and calm them down almost immediately. So one of the girls during the entire cross-examination was petting the dog. Even the defense attorney, when he was getting, feeling the tension in the room, he would give the dog a couple of pats as well. And it worked. At the end of the day, the girls both testified and the result was a guilty verdict. So this was the start of this accidental program, and it's becoming more common across the states. And there's a great article that I am going to link to in the Animal Law Journal that looks at these programs and kind of the rationale behind it and resourcing issues. It's a really interesting read. Not only are therapy dogs used with children in stressful situations like the one we just heard about with giving testimony, but they're also really popular for autistic children. Researchers from the University of Lincoln found that children with autism experience fewer meltdowns in the presence of a pet dog, and their parents' stress level are significantly lowered as well. Dogs benefit autistic people, not just children, um, but their benefits are felt in a myriad of ways. There's an initial friendship or connection with the animal, which leads to the ability to create connections and friendships with other people as well. It draws new people to the autistic person, which is often a jumping off point for conversation and creates those connections. So it, the dog acts as kind of a mediary in that. There is a calming presence in tense and fearful situations because service dogs are rarely rileable. So a dog would just be calm and soothing yeah. while there. 
They also provide sensory support. So if an autistic person is having a, a problem with the environment around them, oftentimes just the dog's head in the lap can be enough of a, of a touchstone that it calms the person down and, and helps with the situation. It encourages exercise and excursion because you can't keep a dog cooped up all day long. And autistic people get into a very routine existence day over day. You can't be routine with an animal. <laughs> Things just happen, so it often forces them out of their comfort zones in that area. And it introduces new life opportunities. So you're, you might be taking your dog to a dog park or a training class, something like that. So there's been a lot of success with giving uh, service animals to autistic people. Cool. But not support squirrels. No. Support squirrels are bunkum. <laughs> like, just, no. No go. Sometimes... Humans get it right and uh, elect our animal friends to office. For example, we have Bosco the Chocolate Lab, who was elected mayor of Sanol, California. In 1981, there was an election in Sanol to find who would be the honorary mayor to rep represent the city at various functions and events. I would like to stress that this was an honorary yes. position. The race got very tight and very ugly between the two human frontrunners. It got to be the point, it got so bad that at one point, Bosco's owners joked that the city was so fed up with the whole election that if his dog's name could get on the ballot, he would be elected the winner. It was never actually on the ballot, but Bosco won via a write-in vote. I was just going to say. <laughs> he served his, his office honorably and dutifully for 13 years. Oh, wow. Wandering up and down the streets of Sunol, getting treats and pats and welcoming visitors. That is hilarious. Yes. Unfortunately, Bosco passed away a few years ago, but he is remembered with a bronze statue in front of the Sunol post office. Aww. <laughs> but that means he was elected a couple of times if he did it for 13 years. Well, I mean, success. Yeah, I know. Breed success. Most uh, incumbents usually win their re-election bids. Cats and dogs are adorable. But we can't forget there are more than just cats and dogs in the world. And so I would like to bring your attention to some very hardworking rodents. Now, we all know the story of our local groundhogs. They have a very important job on February. But I'm not going to focus on them because we all know about their, their yes. shtick. So the first story to tell you about with our helpful rodent friends comes from us from the past in 1971, when scientists at the National Accelerator Laboratory figured out they had a problem. The laboratory's new Menson lab was nearing completion, but its piping, through which subatomic particles would fly, was dirty from the construction and needed to be spotless in order to work properly. Someone had to figure out how to clean the tiny steel particles, dust, and other debris from the pipe's interiors before they could be used. Now, these pipes were 12 inches wide, or 30 centimeters, and about 300 feet long, or 91 meters. An engineer suggested that they build a machine to do the job, but once the specs were completed, they figured out it was too expensive and not the ideal solution. Then, visiting British physicist Robert Sheldon came up with another idea. Put a ferret in the pipes. <laughs> Ferrets are small, curious creatures that love to duck into holes and burrows, which they'll zip along until they reach the end just to see what's there. One of my favorite things to do on Instagram is watch videos of ferrets climbing through dryer tubes because they just go fucking nuts. Like, okay. it is like 
Disneyland, Wonderland, and Disney Euro Paris, like, all together. Ferrets love nothing more than that. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the verb to ferret out originally meant to go into a hole and flush out prey animals, and ferrets did that job, so ferreting out dirt was a natural follow-up for our furry little snake cats, is, I guess, what we're going to call them. The researchers at the uh, laboratory purchased Felicia, a petite 15-inch ferret for $35. Much more cost-effective than a robot, custom-built robots. They taught her to scurry down the pipes while wearing a special collar that had a string on it. So as Felicia ran through the pipes, she would pull the string with her. When she emerged on the other end, workers would fasten a tight-fitting swab soaked in cleaning fluid to the string and then pull it back through the pipes to clean it out. Ah. See, that reaction makes me think that you had the same thought as I did, which they were just using Felicia as a little, like, Swiffer. Yeah, that's what I was like. Did they put a hamster through there? Yes, exactly. I just figured Felicia... And wrapped her in a Swiffer, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, Felicia would just, like, be picking up all the little bits of dirt and, like, coming out on the other end looking like she fucking rolled through a dust bowl. But no. <laughs> they they are it. smarter than us. Yes. They actually had, like, an actual process that they were trying to follow. So, thank you for your service, Felicia. Next up, do you know what a capybara is? I think I do. They're like beavers, but they're bigger, and they don't have the big floppy tail on the back. Yeah, are they Australian? No, they're they're native to Central and South America. No, and they are the sweetest animal ever on the face of this earth. They are super friendly and supportive, and there are millions of photos online that prove that they can be friends with just about any animal. I saw one picture of capybaras and alligators sunning next to each other on a riverside. Like, they're just the chillest animals ever. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, don't eat me. Pretty much. No surprise then, given what we know about capybaras being so friendly, that cheesecake from Arkansas proved once again that humans just don't deserve animals. She lives at a animal sanctuary in Arkansas, as I said, and when she first came, she would hang out with the sanctuary dogs. When orphan puppies came in around Christmas 2010, Cheesecake stepped up and started mothering them. Her parenting style is described as gentle yet firm. She cuddles with them. She watched over them during the day and taught them manners, like not being pushy around the food bowl. Ever since then, these puppies grew up and moved on to other homes, but whenever a new litter of puppies comes in, even if they're with their mothers, Cheesecake will step into a maternal role. If the puppy's mother are there, she acts as kind of a babysitter or nanny around the puppies because the mothers just trust her so much that they let her take on that role. So anytime I think, like, we really just need to burn the entire earth down and start over again, I think of capybaras, and I'm like, no, no, we deserve to try better for these creatures. No other reason, just these creatures. They're chill. (laughs) If there is one celebrity in the rodent world, however, it has to be Twiggy the water skiing squirrel. (laughs) Maybe we'd come back to squirrels somehow. Yeah. Twiggy was adopted in 1978 when she was found as a baby having been blown out of her nest following Hurricane David. Her skills and fame started almost immediately thereafter. Chuck and Luann Best, who found her, had recently gotten a remote control boat for their daughter and just for fun, and because Chuck's kind of weird, he wanted to see if the baby squirrel could water ski. (laughs) 
So he slapped a pair of skis on that poor little thing, put it behind a remote control boat, and set it loose. And it turned out Twiggy could, in fact, water ski. Over the years, Twiggy has become a favorite of the boating convention circuit and acts as a spokes squirrel for water and boating safety, which is why she always wears a life vest while skiing. You may know her from some of her more famous movie appearances, including Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story, and Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Twiggy has a busy schedule and usually travels nine months out of the year being the star that she is. Now, I'm sure you listened to the story and asked yourself, how fucking old is this rodent? <laughs> I was just going to say, how fucking old is this rodent? You are not alone, because I asked myself the same question. Uh, assuming Twiggy was born the same year she was found, so 78, that would put her at 40 years old. I was going to say, this squirrel is older than I am. <laughs> and according to the interwebs, the common eastern gray squirrel has the average lifespan of 6 to 12 years in the wild, and the oldest known one living in captivity was 24. So I think there might have been quite a few Twiggies. Yes, I was just going to say. But then again, those numbers are for the common gray squirrel, and Twiggy is anything but. Boom! Mic drop! <laughs> Oh my god. So, as I was prepping the story, I, I had a, a couple of realizations that I think it's really telling that these animals find their niche in the human job world based off of natural talents and skills. So, cats, good for adorable photos. Dogs actually love humans and mankind and will do stuff for them. Cats just want you to feed them and or give them a place to sleep dogs helpful and good for us and then rodents are just a fucking gong show so (laughs) that is what i learned about uh that is what i learned about animals with jobs and it was a very fun lunch hour for me putting this together I don't know if you caught the, I have to delete my history before I leave. I did, and as I was driving and I saw that text, I was like, damn, I'm going to have a real hard time finding a correlation between these two stories this time, I think. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So mine's on porn. Oh, boy. Andy, you cannot do this type of thing at work. (laughs) So it was a history of porn, so at least it was nice and... Okay. So, so we'll it's start... classy porn is what yes, you're saying. Yes, classy porn. So porn has been around for like ever. Uh-huh. Since people have been having sex, other people have wanted to watch it. Yeah. In 2005, archaeologists found the world's oldest porn site when they found a statue of a man and woman having intercourse sculpted many thousands of years ago <laughs> by German hunter-gatherers. As you pointed out a few weeks ago, sexually explicit graffiti goes back, like, to the way big numbers. Yes. So the Greeks and Romans left behind countless depictions of heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, oral sex, orgies, and way more. Oh, our Puritan selves in this day and age have absolutely no concept of what the Romans were. (laughs) No. Yeah. And the culmination. Karma Sutra, a third century text, is still enjoyed its status as a cultural cornerstone of sexual living. Mm-hmm. Of sensual living, sorry. Eh, six of one. Yeah. Because of another. But uh, the largest collection of antique erotica came from the ancient city of Pompeii, 
where images, sculptures, and frescoes line the walls of brothels, bathhouses, and common households. One of the most famous um, items recovered was a sculpture of the god Pan having inter- sexual intercourse with a goat. Well, I mean, Pan wasn't exactly all human himself. No. <laughs> but it was so funny because the article I was reading that had said that, it was like when they uncovered Pompeii, all of these like European aristocrats who had like thought themselves intellectuals like the Romans and the Greeks yep. were very scandalized with all of this like <laughs> graphic pornography. Right. <laughs> it's like the modern equivalence when uh, Fifty Shades of Grey hit and everyone was reading it everywhere. I heard of one comedian refer to it as Fifty Shades of Your Mom Still Masturbates. Yes. So yes, it's exactly <laughs> like that. So porn has always been around. Uh, porn in many cases really helped new technology getting picked up. As Playboy writer Damien Brown once wrote, if we invented a machine, the first thing we're going to do after making a profit is use it to watch porn. Well, porn is always the early adopter of every technology. Yes. DVDs have their ascendancy in porn. So uh, when the Gutenberg Press was established in 1440, it got into the porn game by printing the first book of erotic engravings in 1524. (laughs) And then in 1749, the first book of erotica called Memories of a Woman of Pleasure was written and published by John Cleveland. Hmm. Sure, he was arrested and jailed for it, but, you know, it started a trend. Yep. That Fifty Shades of Grey has killed. (laughs) I don't know. It seems to have just exploded it even more. Oh, but bad. Like, bad writing, people. Poorly, but, like, you can sell smut no matter what the quality of it is. Apparently. Because those are some awful movies, too. I've not seen any, but I have oh my God. understand that there's more sexual tension between us. Yeah. Well, you were in labor when I was watching the first one, and I was, like, could not have cared any less about it as I was watching it, because my best friend had just gone into labor. And it was just, t- like, I've had more chemistry with pizzas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <sighs> So when photography first started, like portraits were really the main use, but one only really needs one portrait of their sweetheart. So there was also uh, a big market for artistic nudes that were sold, supposedly sold to painters. To I study like how you f- air quoted artistic. artistic. <laughs> uh, that were sold to artists and schools to study the form. Ah. But... Uh, Civil War soldiers were commonly found in their pockets with their pictures of their sweethearts, one or two artistic dudes. Right. So, yeah. Mm. Men have been beating it off to photos for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, there's film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thomas Edison's The Kiss was made commercially available in 1896. The film portrayed cinema's first kiss. Which, as Disney as that sounds now, created a bit of a scandal back in the day. <laughs> then, of course, it didn't take filmmakers very long to start producing dirtier material. Uh, 1900s marked the era of the stag film. Such films were illegally shot, consumed, and distributed, and were representative of America's crude, albeit booming porn industry. The films were often smuggled by traveling salesmen. <laughs> Get your knives here and your dirty pictures. <laughs> exactly. And were frequently viewed during bachelor parties, fraternity events, and other exclusive male gatherings. 
In spite of the illegal nature of porn content, the material remained so popular that in 1941, the X rating was formally introduced. What year? Uh, 1951. 51. Yeah. So that's when the X rating was formally introduced. Two years later, a 27-year-old Hugh Hefner founded Playboy. <laughs> uh, so the 1960s and 70s are really when porn as we know it started. Mm-hmm. Um, with the 70s being known as the golden era of porn, mm-hmm. the golden age of porn. And I think most people our age and maybe even younger, you know, when we think of porn, I think we almost all still think of like a 70s-esque porn reference. The Debbie Does Dallas, the... I think you're showing your age in that comment because, and there's not much of a difference between us, no. but that's not where my head goes when I think porn. What do you think? What do you think porn then? Like the internet. Yes, but like <laughs> I still think of like a porn movie as the Debbie Does Dallas. Like I dated a guy who had the Debbie Does Dallas soundtrack on his computer. <laughs> I think so. I A don't want to know how he got it and B don't want to know what's on it. <laughs> it's a lot of instrumental pop. Like it really is that <laughs> bassy sound and maybe that's where my 70s thinking comes from because that's sort of the creation of the porn soundtrack yeah we sort of all think of in our heads that like heavy bass slappy like <laughs> slappy well it's they, that's how they make the sound <laughs> uh so you know i think we're all really familiar with the sort of 70s and 80s and 90s the dvds the porn that was you know pay-per-view or uh, you know for those uh canadian softcore remember blue nuit blue nuit on channel 11 here in the ottawa region yeah <laughs> i remember being like a teen like probably not quite a teenager and um i think it was like cbc or something like that late one night in play cove and I still remember this. I don't know how old I was. And I we were going to go to bed. I think everybody was still up partying, like all the parents and stuff. And it was like these two naked men and they were like wrestling Ooh. on this bare like bare skin rug in front of a fire. <laughs> I was like, what the hell am I watching? CBC was progressive. <laughs> I don't know if it was CBC. It was probably like Blue Nuit on whatever right. channel, but it was just and I think it was in French, so probably. Right. But I don't know how it got there. Like I don't know why someone chose to put that channel on well kids these days do not know the absolute difficulty we had oh to have a sexual porn. awakening to porn in our day and age because there was blidney which you had to stay up awake after your parents on a friday night and if they were up late for some reason like god knows like you were shot that week uh the alternative was uh, the red shoe diaries on yes. Showcase. With oh, Dakota Showcase. Company. Showcase was big. Like, they used to do Red Shoe Diaries, Queer as Folk, mm-hmm. um, and for a very different reason, Oz, like the prison. Yeah. That was very graphically yeah. sexual at times. But, like, only super, super late. So, again, you had to, yeah. like, play chicken with your parents to see who was going to go to bed first if you wanted to watch anything. And it wasn't good. Oh, it no. was all softcore shot through, like, Vaseline on the camera screen, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> But, like, it's all we had. It is all we had. (laughs) So, internet porn now is so prevalent. It's very easy to get free porn. And do you know who you have to thank for that? Bill Gates? No. Steve Jobs? No. This guy named Fabian. He was a teenager in Brussels in the 90s. And he used to hang out on those chat rooms, like the chat forums that Mm -hmm. we all think about when the start of the internet for all you men, men... 
younger kids. You have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, and where he used to swap. So they used to all these chat boards. He got involved in chat boards with other probably people who liked porn. I mean, he was a teenage boy. Um, he was kind of geeky, so I don't think he was getting any on himself. <laughs> I put that in there. Sorry, Fabian, if you were. Um, I doubt he's listening to this. But, um, so they used to swap usernames and passwords to paid porn sites. Oh, okay. So that they'd go in and download the porn uh. for free. So there was this whole community of people who would just swap passwords to various sites. Because at that time... Porn was all paid on the internet, yes. so you needed to be a certain age, you need to have a credit card, etc. You also had to have a really, really good connection. Yes. Because everything took fucking forever to download. So then Fabian turned into his 20s, and he looked at uh, the tech world, because he was he's a techie kind of guy, um, and saw that porn really wasn't at the forefront like other industries industries um there were some mom and pops there was a few really badly done it wasn't i never want to link mom and pops to porn again but continue (laughs) sorry like there's a lot of smaller um sites but really the porn industry was very still in porn valley uh the vivids the stables the old school sort of studio Mm -hmm. um system that porn had adopted and was doing really well with at the time but he said they aren't keeping up with the times. So he bought a Quebec-based company called Manasee, I think it was, uh, which was a very unassuming company. They were uh, in a very normal um, office block. They didn't actually produce any porn. So if you walked in there, it was like you're walking into Mitel or Alcatel or any mm. other tech company. It was just tech people. So it was run by siblings and cousins, I think, originally. they had Their parents had no idea what they did. <laughs> They did not want their parents to know. Nope. <laughs> uh, their parents just knew that they did something on the internet. They had websites. They didn't know that their their kids had created Pornhub. Ah. So he bought Pornhub. Mm. And they were happy enough to sell it because, again, they were scared that their parents were going to find out. Uh-huh. Like, this was a group of younger people. And then, like, the head of HR was someone who babysat a couple of the owners. Awkward. Yeah. So, like, it was very... <laughs> close-knit family, cousins, that sort of stuff. And this guy, Fabian, from Brussels, came in and bought it. And then uh, he did some changing around. He uh, hired a bunch of programmers to be a mobile division. This was before smartphones. Hmm. This was in the 90s, like the early 2000s. So this was when we were still using flip phones. And uh, But he had it created a mobile division. He did a bunch of stuff. And then he decided that he was going to go out and try to get some venture capitalist funds. And uh, he knew that, like, even porn stars, like, female porn stars had a hard time getting checking checking accounts because they were porn stars. So he wasn't too sure that he was going to be able to get his funding. Anyways, in a year, he'd gotten $336 million (laughs) uh, from a a hedge fund Mm -hmm. to buy every other porn site you can think of. Mm -hmm. He bought Pornhub's main rival. He bought some other free sites. He bought some other paid sites. And what Pornhub is, it's like YouTube, Mm -hmm. but then especially it was predominantly stolen content so think napster okay but nobody fought it like sometimes you get a producer saying please take down my content and by the time they took down um harry's pots her (laughs) or you know uh revenge of the shit the all anal final chapter (laughs) 
it was up again. Like, by the time they took it down, they didn't really care that most of their content was stolen. Nobody was going to do anything about it. Yeah. Because no one wants to pay the $500 an hour lawyer to go into court and argue over saving Ryan's privates. Exactly. (laughs) Well, also, nobody had the money, which is somewhat unfortunate because I think reading... So I've been listening to uh, a podcast, which I'm getting some of this information from, uh, called The Butterfly Effect. John Ronson. I was going to ask. Yeah. Have you listened to it? No, but John Ronson's the guy who did the psychopath test that we talked about. Yeah. So he has done this butterfly effect, and he looked at the butterfly effect of this uh, online free porn movement. Mm -hmm. So how it's really killed the porn industry, like the traditional making of the industry. Which is funny, because without these traditional people making porn, there really wouldn't be a lot of... There'd be a lot of amateur content, but you still wouldn't have the higher quality content that these free sites depend on. So, anyways, I don't know how that's going to play out. (laughs) Uh, But, so, learning this, I was just like, oh my god, this is just like Napster, but nobody was Metallica. Yeah. And you kind of, it's like, oh god, Metallica, you're such killjoys. But we all have content, we all have music, we either pay for it streaming, or we stream it for free with ads. Like, it still has come out in the wash, but really hasn't killed the music industry right. probably how if Napster had gone unchecked maybe would, would have. have happened yeah um so it's interesting to see how that sort of unchecked free stealing of content has really affected an entire industry what <clears throat> what makes me curious is what Fabian Fabian yes Fabian could have done for humanity had he put his powers towards solving cancer or other large human problems so, instead of making sure that 14-year-old boys can get off without their dad's playboys. Yeah, so this man is, like, hella rich now. He only has, like, four or eight cars. He used to have 18. A bunch of them were McLaren's. Um, it's like, yeah, so it's so funny because he was very smart. He was very forward-thinking, like, having yeah. mobile divisions and stuff like yeah. that. Like, he was very ahead of the curve, allowing you to have porn wherever you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really thank Fabian for that. Uh, but what you see now as an effect from that is everything is keyword searchable as most of our life. Yep. So, you've seen the porn movies themselves, uh, the titles of them become more keyword smart. So, where mm. you had saving private Ryan's, Ryan's privates. privates, you now have cheerleader, stepdaughter, orgy. Yeah. Because those are the top. So. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. So the top trends are teenagers. Of course. Uh, cheerleaders. Of course. Stepdaughters. Ew. Because everybody wants to nail their kids. So stepdaughter at least makes it classier. I don't know. Well, Orgies and MILFs. So. <laughs> In this keyword searchable time, it really puts a lot of the porn stars in this sort of like nine year window of where they're no longer can pass as a teenager, mm-hmm. but they're not old enough to be a MILF. So it's hard Jesus. to get work from about 22 to about 39 if you look a bit older oh, or 40. So what a lot of these women end up doing is bespoke porn, which is really why I wanted to do this. I've never heard of this before. It's custom-made porn. Oh, so the old, like, camera girls. Yeah, so say your fetish was having your stamp collection that you've collected for 40 years 
put on fire by three porn stars who are naked, then you could do that. Wow. What are we charging for this service? Uh, they they said uh, the couple that does this as an industry as a business, they say they um, charge anywhere from a few hundred depends to thousands to maybe even tens of thousands depends on what it is. So the person who's commissioning it can write the script. They get involved with the casting. Wow. Um, it's basically to their uh, to their specifications. So they said can you they had. If that's your hobby. <laughs> yeah. So they had one uh, that was just this woman. So she is in a kitchen and she's fully clothed and there's flies and she's getting bothered by the flies. And then she can't find her fly squatter. So then she finds it and then she starts squatting flies. And that's the whole thing. I think you had a couple Freudian slips there because you said squatter instead of swatter. I cannot say swatter. I tried (laughs) this when I was telling Dan this story and he's laughing at me because I... I can't do it. I don't know if it's Freudian or just... I cannot do that sound. I am sorry. I really wish there was another example. No, it was delightful. <laughs> so, she... That's that's the whole thing. Like, she... I don't think she ever gets naked. There's you have a to pay for that? Like, that's not... you. Oh. It was a certain script, and I don't know if it's a certain look. But then, of course, I guess it's John Ronson beat who he is he's like i wonder what happened to him as a child that that's his fantasy like (laughs) yeah that sounds like john ronson because that's what he kept going back to i wonder what uh created this fantasy Mm -hmm. and they're like i don't know like a we don't ask that i'm sorry we just take the money um and like just some like very whatever you wanted as a custom Mm -hmm. you could do the line so uh, he was looking at, like, he asked, like, um, so, you know, some people say that the online porn hub, the free po- porn, has made porn more violent, mm-hmm. which actually a lot of the producers and stuff that he was talking to was saying, actually, no, because you now know what's very popular. He's like, really, before, sort of in the 90s, there was this real move to very violent porn because they thought that's what people wanted. Mm-hmm. So, like, porn went through this sort of really violent phase phase but with online it really with the 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 popularity of Pornhub and all those sites Mm -hmm. really has made it really clear what people want to watch I guess they can track the analytics yeah I think the problem and from what I've heard and read elsewhere it's not so much the the violence aspect it's that it's creating untenable and unrealistic expectation in men and in some women so, like, young boys thinking that their 13-year-old girlfriends are going to have double Ds and be willing to do deep penetration and orgy oh, yes. scenes when, in fact, that should not be anyone's expectation at all of any woman, especially not a young 13-year-old who is herself having her first sexual experience. So, I think that's really the, the damage that the current porn world, if you will, is is reeking on society. So because, as you said, uh, Pornhub really does um, track all the analytics, they put out every, so often, like the most searched words for each state. So I was mm-hmm. trying to find provinces in Canada. So um, this was from 2016. Canadians love same-sex relationships, at least when it comes to porn. Released its top search terms for Canada, and lesbian topped the list across most of the country. 
One of the most notable exceptions was Quebec, which guess what their top search term was? I'm going to say it's something really disturbing. So, oh no. No, it's not disturbing at all. It's just very Quebec. Cougars. No, it's actually Quebec. Is there a <laughs> search term? It's just Quebec. Someone's in love with themselves. Yes. Uh, as it turns out, we have much in common with our southern neighbors as, as lesbian. Is also one of the United States' favorite subjects. But thankfully, we do not seem to share the Americans' interest in stepmoms and stepsisters. That is, I... Oh. Seriously, what is wrong with oh. you? Washington State, South Dakota, and Kentucky. I'm reading directly from this article. Yes, call those freaky bastards out. So, while American states tend to go conservative and stick to lesbian and always safe teen categories... Uh, Canadians, we proudly fly our freak flag when looking at online porn. So the top searched term in BC was Asian, which is no surprise. Demographically speaking, no. (laughs) No doubt affordable housing was close second. (laughs) And it was even more elusive than porn. Albertans apparently love cream pies. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Saskatchewan apparently loves... Bunny hugs. Cartoons! Ew. Cartoon <laughs> porn. <laughs> I love this. This article actually says, Meanwhile, just over the border, residents of Saskatchewan apparently like browsing for cartoons with their free hand. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Manitoba's favorite search term was native. I'm not sure I want to get on board with that well in ontario has a thing for indians see this feels dangerously racist and i'm not entirely sure why it's happening or that anyone really wants to study it because people don't fed us uh so well which Pornhub attributes to their respective native and south asian populations because people don't fetishize other ethnic groups at all of course not uh quebec but no hold on bc the asian population is quite large so i can see that happening yes that's why they said like but as- the aboriginal population i don't think is large enough in those other two provinces to account for why it's popping at the top of the list so that makes me worry that they're being fetishized slash yes there's a racial aspect in there that we probably don't actually want to support or encourage. No. People stick with your lesbians. Stick with your Everyone lesbians. loves a good lesbian. Everybody. Or an orgy. Let's go. Everybody <laughs> loves a good lesbian orgy. Let's go with that. My hope my parents don't listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Quebec sticks to its French-only position with the Quebec. Uh, well... Newfoundlanders are still mulling over this whole lesbian thing. Apparently, we still love our lesbians. <laughs> uh, things get a little weird with the rest of the province as, as territories. Yukon, they love their tickling porn, which we didn't, I also didn't realize was a porn category. You just took me straight out of the game with that one. <laughs> I'm completely flabbergasted. <laughs> The comment on this article is, maybe if you spend 10 months of the year bundled in parkas, a good tickle is the most intimate thing you can imagine. True. The Northwest Territories love H-E-N-T-I-L. Hentil? Is that the uh, cartoon again? I don't know, and we're going to... Apparently, we're just going to skip that. I don't want to Google that. (laughs) Uh, None of it is all about Eskimo porn. Yes, apparently there's an Eskimo porn category. 
again, I feel like there is a racial overtone to that because the Inuit who populate Nunavut don't like that word. I know. <laughs> and you cannot say, cannot call Inuit people Inu or Inu Inuit. Right. Because they're two different groups and neither of them are Eskimo. <laughs> no, they are not. Uh, residents of New Brunswick. My peeps. What do you guess? New Brunswick? Hmm. Prisoner. Smoking. Ugh, Apparently yeah. smoking porn. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and Nova Scotians are uh, prefer face-sitting porn. <laughs> I just broke Elise. It is so late. <laughs> it's not even 8 o'clock yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we haven't even got to. Finally, PEI have a thing for bondage. Okay. For Anna Green Gables. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, lesbian is still very top of mind, uh, but at least we don't like step moms, step siblings, and step daughters quite as much as the Americans. So, at no point. Yay for us! In any context, should family members be involved with their sex life? No. In any way. Step, half, full, adopted. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to see it. I don't want it anywhere near. So do you like the movie Clueless? Yes. Who does not? But Cher and Paul Rudd were step-siblings at some point. Yeah. Don't, don't think that that hasn't crossed my mind or upset me a time or two but clueless is um a retelling of jane austen story which one mansfield no no so it's a retelling of a jane austen story emma and so i view it within that lens still don't like it But Paul Rudd does not age. I think he ages backwards. No, he does. He's Benjamin Buttoning all of us. Yeah, I know. He looks older and clueless than he did in This Is 40. Yes. Or anything. So that is my story. I I know that I'm going to go down the porn rabbit hole again. uh, Because I'm going to try to flush out some fetishes. (laughs) My question for you (laughs) is... How did I come down this rabbit hole? There it is. So I was listening to... My dad wrote a porno. Oh, okay. And the second last, so they do an in-between, like a little 15-minute in-between episode mm-hmm. that they used to post on Thursdays or Wednesdays. And their last one was with uh, Emma Thompson. Okay. But their one before that was with John, John Ronson. And so he was talking about this butterfly effect and this guy Fabian. So I fell down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Porn. Why haven't we talked about porn yet? <laughs> so then I fell down that rabbit hole. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So you've been listening to The Butterfly Effect? I have. I listened to the first two. It's good. Because, yeah, it is. And I really just want it because he talked about the bespoke porn mm-hmm. thing. And I was like, oh, I have to find out more about yeah. this. <laughs> A man actually paid them to take this stamp collection that he's had for 40 years. Right. And humiliate it and like humiliate him for being a geek and having stamps and then they set it on fire and they're like naked and it's all like oh i hope the producers when they delivered the final product to this gentleman also included the name number for a few local therapists so uh, because you clearly have some shit you need to work through 
Yeah, it was. And then there was another one they said that they did, and it was like women in a sauna, and the top, their hair had to be up in a towel, and no hair could be showing, and then the towel had to fall in a certain way down their back. And they were like, that was really hard to engineer because they couldn't push it. It had to fall like on its own <laughs> after a certain time, and it had to fall like a specific way down the person's back. And they're like, that was really hard to do. And the, 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 the audio for this was like, oh, if they towel is falling. And the other goes, just let it fall naturally down your back. Doesn't it feel nice? And I was like, I'm skeeved out with that coming at me. Just yeah, sitting here. So I know. I, I was like, ah. I just, it should not be that hard to get off. And if you have the money to throw at it to help you to get off. You have the money for the therapist. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, I mean, there is so much free porn out there. You couldn't have found something that tickled the old flute for you? <laughs> Helps you double-click those buttons? I'm sitting here trying to come up with a title for the episode, and Bury That Bone keeps coming to mind. <laughs> we really should. <laughs> I don't know if that's where we want to go with this, but there it is. I think that's where we want to go with it. I think that's always where we're meaning to go with this when we started this project. Oh, boy. So, Elise did animals with jobs, and Andy did porn. (laughs) Andy did a different type of jobs. Yep, yep. So that is our episode for today. If you want to see the show notes or get in touch with us, just head over to our website, www.rabbitholespodcast.com. Or you can send us an email at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Let us know about some rabbit holes that you've fallen down. If you have suggestions for rabbit holes that we should check out, send them our way. Or if you've ordered yourself some custom porn and want to explain it to us. Yes, please don't send it to us. but. No, let us know why, uh, where, and how much you paid for it. That's what I want to know. You can also connect with us via the social media, like the kids these days. Hit us up on Twitter at Rabbit Holes Pod. Our Facebook page is set up with the name of the show. And Andy is curating our Instagram page, which can be found at Rabbit Holes Podcast. Yeah, she can always figure out which days my kids are sick, because there's no posting for that day. (laughs) Uh, You can also, if you like this, you can also support us at Patreon. Uh, You can either go to Patreon and search Rabbit Holes Podcast, or you can connect via the support tab on the website. We have lots of fun stuff coming. We have some stuff posted coming. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I am so tired that it took so long for that to seep in. And then it got there and I'm just like, God damn it, you missed it. You just let it roll right past you. You should be ashamed. (laughs) I'm going to have to edit that out. Okay, let's try that again. Uh, So if you like what we're doing and you want to support us by giving us a few shekels, we'd much appreciate it. Spend it on us, not this custom porn. That is true. Yeah. We will gladly take it if you'd like to see us squat some flies. Squat some flies. (laughs) Squat some flies. That's what Andy's willing to do. The only thing I'm willing to do is berate you. That I will do. That is true. (laughs) Uh, You can go to Patreon and search Rabbit Holes Podcast or connect via the support tab on our website. We have lots of fun stuff coming. (laughs) 
not in that way to the not so secret. That's what she said. Yeah, the not so secret part of our website and for the patrons of the Velveteer, Velveteen tier and above. So if you want to rep us out in the big bad world, uh, you can find our merch at Redbubble. You can search Rabbit Holes Pod or you can find a link on uh, our website under the merch tab. You can also give us a good rating on the iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download this podcast to help with our visibility. Please and thank you. We also love validation. Yes. And recommend us to friends and family. That is true. Recommendations are how people find their... Um, their new podcast to binge listen to and unfortunately we don't know anyone in norway but apparently we're huge in norway i know so hi norway big in norway <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i thought <laughs> there's only one last thing to do tonight and that is to remind you that if you don't know where you're going any road will take you there bye guys bye